Dragnet. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about seven minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater Program 384 in the series. It's May 5th, and to my right is the vivacious one, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? How are you, Carl? I'm good. You know what? I can't imagine. We have two fantastic radio shows that we're going to play for our listeners all the way till 1 o'clock in the morning. Inner Sanctum Mysteries to start things off. Good mystery. Then The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Now, do you say Basil or Basil? Um, I, I'm not sure. I've actually heard it Basil. pronounced both ways. I think it ways. might be Basil Rathbone. I think it's so, Basil. I think the people who say Basil don't know that I it's, think Basil, it's Basil or yeah. the other way around. I'm going to guess Basil on this. All right. So that's what we have for our listeners. And we're also going to play our game now. It's uh, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? Sponsored by Cat's Pride. Yes, we have a great prize. It's two tickets to the Porchlight Revisits show Minis Boys, um, which is about the young Marx Brothers. So right here at Porchlight Theater in Chicago. And the celebrity is Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Okay. Yeah, she's now, great. I just want to remind all of our listeners that I was six for six last night. I forgot about that, Carl. I'm glad you reminded me that that. you hadn't missed a question last night. No, did not miss. So let's see how if I can keep this uh, roll going. Let's see if everybody has any bets on if that roll can continue (laughs) or if it won't. All right, what caller would you like? We're going to go with caller number four. So call right now, 312-981-7200. Caller four, and we will be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get me We've got James on the line. Hi, James. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Good. You ready to do a little real or ridiculous about Helen Hunt? Sure. All right. Let's see how it goes. Carl, you ready? Yeah. Big, big moment for you to see if you can keep up your win. Okay. All right. Number one. In 1994, she guest starred on the TV show Seinfeld. Real or ridiculous? I'll go to James here. You know, I don't. I watch a lot of those Seinfeld episodes, and I don't remember her ever being in that. So, hmm. what do you think? Ridiculous. I'm gonna uh, what well, let th- him finish. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you think? Because she was on Mad About You around then, right? She was. Right. I don't think those shows ever combined. No. No. All, right. All right, Carl. What do you think? Um, I don't think she ever. I don't, I don't think she was ever on Seinfeld. Um, you are both right. She was not a guest star on the TV show Seinfeld. <laughs> you are absolutely right. All right, number That's two. Seven in a row. Okie dokie. <laughs> she played Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage's daughter in the 1986 film Peggy Sue Got Married. Real or ridiculous? Hmm. James, what do you think? That movie was. She was too old, probably, to play. Oh well, she was in that movie. Hmm. I don't know about the daughter thing, but 
What do you think? I think I think it's real. Okay, go ahead. All right, you guys are right. It is real. That is absolutely correct. All right, one more to go here. Oh my gosh! So far, I'm so, so good. good at this yeah. game. Darn it! I All wish... of a sudden, I stunk before, but now I'll for some reason. Oh, you'll reason... go back to being stinky. Don't you worry. Okay. Number three, she got her role in the film as good as it gets after it had been turned down by Holly Hunter. Real or ridiculous? Mm. What do you think, James? Um, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I really don't. I have a. Inkl- I really don't know that one. Well, well just take a guess. What do you think? I'll say one more time, and maybe you'll feel it in the inflection. She got her role in the film as good as it gets after it had been turned down by Holly Hunter. Is that real or ridiculous? It sounds kind of real to me. What do you think? I think it's real. It's real. It is absolutely real. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You guys got all three right. So, I don't know, a little working together never hurt anyone. Yeah. But you did a great job, James, and you won two tickets to the Porchlight Revisits Minis Boys. It's playing May 22nd and 23rd at award-winning Porchlight Music a Theater. So, they're going to take Chicago back in time to a look at the young Marx Brothers in the Chicago premiere. You can get Tickets at porchlightmusictheater.org. But you just won yourself two, two tickets. I hope you love the show. Oh, I love it. Thanks it sounds much. like a winner. Thank Thanks, you for James. calling. Appreciate it. Oh, man, I tell you. This is like, uh, I don't know, baking a cake. Like nothing to About it. About as easy as baking a cake, Lisa. Mm. So I don't think you're going to stump me ever again. Do you want to know who the next one is, or should we keep it a surprise for the next hour? It doesn't matter to me, either way. I'm going to tell you what I'm it is Because I'm so right good now. at this game now. For oh, some reason. Wow. Okay. Am I going to hear about this all week long? I mean, I just got nine in a row. All right. I'm okay? going to tell you who the last nine one is so you can row, mull Lisa. it over nine for the next hour. Okay? Okay. okay. Sylvester Stallone. Oh, pff, that's easy. No problem. No problem. All right. We shall see. Adrian. We'll see. Are you Adrian? <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> that's it. We're right? all done and you are, you got just them all. Just give right. me the. Give you the what? The bragging rights? You've the, already got them. Just give me three more. Just give me the 12 right now. All 12. Because I got nine right in a row. I'm going to get three more. That's 12 in a Are row. Are you going to be bragging gets, all week? That's like flipping a coin and guessing it each time before it lands 12 times in a row. Oh, you you know how hard that is? really good at this. Man. Boy, are you good. All right. All right. I'm glad we're uh, both on the same page about that. Oh, certainly we are. Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Uh, this was one of the best mystery shows of the golden age of radio. It was created by Hyman Brown, and uh, it came to the airwaves in 1941, lasted all the way until the 1950s. And, of course, there was the creaking door. That was really the star of the show, the creaking door. You know, it would open up. <laughs> Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Did you think the show started? Did you think the show started? Oh, yeah, I thought that was a show, but it's actually yeah. you. Wow, no, that was you're, me. you're really good at that, good too, Carl. You're kind of good at everything. Good at that, too. Yeah, boy, right. oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, Raymond was our host, and he used to tell little puns and little jokes and things. And then uh, there was a scary story, and this broadcast is from September 4th, 1945. It's called The Murder Prophet, and it stars Wendy Berry. Here's part one now of Inner Sanctum Mystery. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries, starring Wendy Barry. 
Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you through the squeaking door into a gay little world of homicidal maniacs, vampires, ghosts, werewolves, and uh, assorted forms of sudden and gory death. (laughs) Friends, if you ever walk through a cemetery at midnight and see a girl whose hair is on fire and is carrying her head under her arm, you know what to tell her, don't you? Just say... uh, Keep a cool head on your shoulders, toots. <laughs> and run like crazy. Hmm. I suppose you think that kind of advice will help her. Why, of course, Mary. What else could you say to a girl whose hair is on fire? Wait, I know what you'd tell her. You'd say, my dear, why don't you cool off with a glass of Lipton's iced tea? <laughs> I declare, you sure think of Lipton's at the strangest times. But you know, folks, come to think about it, this is a strange time of year. The days are hot, and yet the nights are apt to be a bit chilly. Yes, this is the time when people keep cool with a refreshing pitcher of Lipton's iced tea while the sun's on the rampage, and then later, after sundown, a hot cup of Lipton seems to taste just right. And do you know the reason why Lipton's hot or iced is always so welcome and satisfying? Well, it's because Lipton's has that famous brisk flavor. That word brisk, B-R-I-S-K, means that Lipton tea tastes fresh and full-bodied. It's never flat or wishy-washy. That's right, folks. You just don't know how good tea can be till you've tried Lipton's. And now, friends, get ready to try a new kind of inner sanctum story. It's called The Murder Prophet. And it's an original radio play by Milton Lewis, who copied it from a tombstone. <laughs> yes, and our star tonight is that glamorous Hollywood movie star, Wendy Barry, who plays the role of Claudia Dale. All right. Clear the floor and give your flesh room to creep. Ready? Now let's hear Claudia tell us the story in her own words. At exactly midnight, I saw him for the first time. My headlights picked him up when he hailed me along a lonely stretch of road near my home. I wouldn't have stopped, but the storm was so fierce, I felt sorry for him. I drew up to the side of the road. Thank you. Going far? No, not far. Where to? I'll let you know. What's that? Where? There on the side. Tombstone. Oh, there's a cemetery where I picked you up. Yes, Birchlawn. Cigarette? No, thank you. I don't smoke. He said nothing for a few minutes. In the reflection of the dashboard light, I saw his face for the first time. Sunken eyes, hollow cheeks, mouth set in a queer grin, a skull, barely covered with a thin layer of milk-white flesh. 
With a start, I, I realized he was staring at me. I've seen you before. Why? Oh, I, I don't think we've met. No, I know you. Are you sure? Yes. I would never forget someone so beautiful. Oh, really? You're Claudia Dale. Why, yes. You're married to Howard Dale. That's right. But I, I don't seem to place you. No, you wouldn't. I know quite a lot about you. Do you really? Your first husband was Willard Banks. How did you know that? He died eight years ago, a suicide. Who are you? You don't know me. Be careful, you're speeding. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize... You're trembling. How do you know so much about me? I just know. Oh, really? I suppose you have second sight or some such rubbish. It is not rubbish. Then tell me where I'm coming from. Pittsfield. You guessed. You went there to visit a sick friend, Martha Walston. But you, you couldn't guess that. You're going too fast. You're losing control. No, I'm not. I'm quite all right. I, I can go fast if I choose to. I shall go as fast as I wish. Would you care to know more of yourself? No. No, I do not find your little trick particularly amusing. Besides, I... What else do you think you can tell me about myself? Your future. Nonsense. Your husband is dead. Howard? Murdered. Oh, you're lying. You'll find his body on the floor near the piano of your living room when you get home. There are two bullets in his head. Get out of here. Get out of this car. Get out. You hear me? Get out. Very well. It happens that this is where I wish to go. Good night, and thank you, Mrs. Dale. vanished into the shadows on the side of the road. And then I noticed something white and shining queerly in the spot where he disappeared. I looked closely. It was another tombstone in another cemetery. I raced madly for home, fighting the hysteria that seized me. The nightlight was burning in the living room. It couldn't be true. Howard would take me in his arms and kiss me when I stepped into the house. I rang the bell. No answer. Somehow I managed to get the key in the lock. I ran into the living room. Don't move. Who is it? Right behind you. I've got a gun. Oh, God. You're in the body. Who are you? Turn around. Oh, you. You murdered me. Keep quiet. Don't come near me. Sit down. Don't touch me. I said sit down. Sorry, I had to slap you. We're losing control. You don't have to scream for the police. Here's my badge. You? Detective Sergeant Quinn. Homicide. Oh, I, I thought you were... Yes, I know. Drink this. Thanks. Feel better? Yeah, much. Who is he? My husband. Sure? Positive. When was he killed? About 20 hours ago. Before yesterday morning. How do you know? One of the bullets went wild. Hit that clock on the mantel. Where were you yesterday morning? Pittsfield. I stayed with a sick friend. Martha Wallstone. Yeah, look at these things. I took them out of his pocket. Are they all his? Yes. Where... Where's the snake ring? There were no rings. But he had one. It was quite valuable. He was never without it. I gave it to him. All right, now look. Did he wear it on the third finger of his left hand? Yes, sir. There's a mark, but no ring. When did you come here? I drove in behind you. You left the front door open. 
I think I know who killed him. Who? A man I met on the road coming here. He knew my husband had been murdered. He did, huh? He even said his body would be near the piano. When did you see this guy? Oh, 10, 20 minutes ago. Picked him up on the road. Where? At Birchlawn Cemetery. Where'd you drop him? At another cemetery near here. He... He seemed to walk behind one of the tombstones. Oh, I know it sounds mad, but it happened just as I said. What's his name? I don't know, but he looked like... like a human cadaver. Like a man who's dead and... You don't believe me. Why'd you kill your husband? What? What are you saying? You heard me. I told you I was in Pittsfield. Why'd you go there? Martha was ill. Were you there at four yesterday morning? Well, of course. Don't I? Stop shouting at me. I told you who killed him. What are you trying to do to me? Isn't it enough to come home and find Howard like that without you trying to... Oh, in heaven's name, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> Not a scotch, lady? No. No, thanks. Here, keep the change. I'm leaving. Sit down, Mrs. Dale. Don't go yet. Ew. Yes. Won't you please sit down? Yes. Didn't expect to find you here. Nor are you. Are they making it difficult? It's a nightmare. You told them about me? Yes. You shouldn't have. They wouldn't understand. Did you kill him? Would you care for another drink, Mrs. Dale? No. Who are you? I'll tell you later. Why'd you come here? To talk to you. I knew I'd find you here. Yes, yes, you knew. You're not so skeptical now. No. What did you want to tell me? That you are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen and that I love you. I've loved you since I first saw you seven years ago. When you came here to live with your husband. Is that why you... Why I killed him? Is that what you meant to say? Yes. I... I'm not an ordinary man, Mrs. Dale, but I'm not a fool. Now, on this card, you'll find my name, address, and telephone. <laughs> Do you really believe I'd phone you? Yes. There will come a time when you shall want love. Good night, Mrs. Dale. Good night. Hello? Operator, get me police headquarters and hurry, please. That's him, Detective Quinn. That's Garth Dragman. Thank you, Mrs. Dale. Do you mind coming down to headquarters, Mr. Dragman? Not at all. Did she tell you that I murdered her husband? Yes. I thought she would. I'm not angry, Mrs. Dale, and what I told you earlier this evening still goes. I'll come along right now, Mr. Quinn. I didn't sleep a wink that night. Twice I got out of bed and drove to police headquarters. The lights were blazing in Quinn's office. I went in the third time. I couldn't bear waiting. Oh, still. Well? Glad you stopped by. I checked everything Dragman said. 
Seemed he was in the same bar and grill where you met him tonight when your husband was killed. You believed him? Naturally. Bartender and several regular customers backed up a story. Seems they all left together after the place was closed to play poker. Well, what about the things he said to me in the car? How could he know about the murder before you or I? That I don't know. Perhaps he does have second sight. Odd-looking fellow, isn't he? She can't arrest a man for murder because of that. He's criminally insane, I tell you. I know he is. My dear Mrs. Dale. Oh. What's the use? I'm pretty sure that's an organ there, Lisa. Pretty sure. Which organ, Carl? It's a Hammond organ. Almost positive. That's Inner Sanctum Mysteries. More after these words. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, Vic. Appreciate you. It is 1136 on a Sunday night, which means that uh, when we're off the air at 1 o'clock, we have the whole week off, but then we'll be back here, Lisa, on Saturday and Sunday. It goes by so fast. We're done I on know. Monday. We, and we just, come back on Saturday. Let's just do a it feels show. like it's two days. Let's just do seven days a week here. Um, I'd have to be paid the big bucks for that. Let's do seven days a week. It might be you worth it. You could do three hours a night, seven days a if week, I couldn't you? If I was paid for it, I could. <laughs> if you were paid for it? If I was paid properly. What is it all about? The money? It helps. It's got to be money. What about... It's a combination of things. What about just pure enjoyment of providing these classic radio shows to our listeners who love these shows? That's a really big commitment. Why? Seven days a week? Yeah. I mean, I love WGN, but there is such a thing as too much WGN. (laughs) Let's do as the Beatles would do, and let's do it eight days a week. Well, that's a great idea. Huh? Eight days a week. And Are you, you going to break into song here? Let me tell you something else, Lisa. I have nine in a row right I, I, of Real or Ridiculous. How I is that even I think you've mentioned that possible? once or twice before. What happens if I get three more right? Absolutely nothing. Isn't nuts? Absolutely nothing. in a row? I'll give you a pat on the back if you're nice. That's not a very good prize. <laughs> That's a great Want prize. really good. I know a lot of people Chunky. who Chunky. Would... I I'd know like a, chunky. a lot of people who would like a pat on the back from me. I like a chunky. Uh, you know what? I'll buy a chunky for you if what you get the, the next background? three right. What are you doing? Are you moving your microphone around? What was that? What was that? It was falling, so I oh, fixed it. I Thanks like for a, pointing that out. Heard like a um, in the background. So I will buy you the king size chunky. It, really? The are, king size? Will you really? Yes, I will. You'll buy me the king size. Yes, chunky? I will. If you get the next three right, if you get twelve, that's not going to help my Nutra. Uh, what am I on? Nutra what? Nutra system. I'm on Nutra system right now. I joined it a month ago. I've been on it for one month. I gained five pounds. Well, you have to be clear about why, though. I don't know why I gained well, five you don't, pounds. You don't I'm on Nutrisystem Nutri system. and I gained five pounds. Well, you go I've out eaten, for steak and hibachi and pizza no, along so, the way. So well, what? that's why I ate all the Nutrisystem food and then the other things. I'm on Nutrisystem. I gained five pounds. What would have happened <laughs> where, this where month? Where are the snacks that I Here's ordered? Here's what I want to know. What would have happened this month if I wouldn't have been on Nutrisystem? Exactly. I would have joined. Uh, Probably would have gained 15 pounds. Right. So it worked. Yeah. So. So it worked out really well for really you. Great for you me. only. You. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you saved 10 pounds there. All right. We're listening to Inner Sanctum. Let's get back. Let's listen to the conclusion now of the murder prophet on Inner Sanctum Mystery. I loved Howard. I loved him to the point of insanity. Otherwise, there was no accounting for the things I did when I left police headquarters. I was determined to find the man who murdered my husband. Just towards dawn, when I made up my mind what to do, 
I went to Garth Dragman's home. I was about to ring the doorbell when... Don't ring, Mrs. Dale. The door is open. Come in. You... You were expecting me? Yes, I was expecting you. Do you still think that I killed him? Uh, I don't know what to think anymore. Do you want me to find the person who murdered him? Yes, more than anything in the whole world. See, I have strange gifts, Mrs. Dale. And I do believe I understand the mind of a criminal. That mad impulse to crime, that strange, twisted desire to take a living being, a creature of arrogance and power, and make it a corroding, lifeless mass of flesh fit for worms. <gasps> oh. You're shocked? Crime is a shocking, evil thing. And only a man with a brain of a genius can succeed at it. And only a man with a greater brain can trap a successful criminal. I'll find your murderer for you, Mrs. Dale. On one condition. What's that? That you marry me. I felt my body turn to ice. I knew I was talking to a madman. I was sure I was talking to the man who'd murdered my husband. It's not so hard to predict a murder. I can do it. It's easy. I predict that there'll be at least one murder every week on Inner Sanctum. Good gracious, yes. <laughs> you, you might say it's worth a character's life to appear on this program. Oh, don't feel sorry for the Mary. Don't forget they can always make a comeback as a ghost on next week's show. Let's get back to the other world now. The world of creeping, crawling horrors... I'll bet you think that Garth Dragman can't really foretell murders. Or do you think that Claudia doesn't have the courage to trap this homicidal Romeo? Or is he the killer? Well, we let our star, Wendy Barry, in the role of Claudia tell you. Go ahead, Claudia. Shock him into the shakes. Two weeks later, I married Garth Dragman. He was the strangest man I ever knew. He would disappear for days at a time... And then suddenly turn up without warning. He had all the money he wanted. Yet I never knew where it came from. There was a closet in his room which was always kept locked and bolted. I knew from the way he acted about it... That the closet contained the answer to all the things I wanted to know about him. One night while he was away... I obtained tools and tried to force the lock... Good evening, Claudia. Oh, Garth. You didn't expect me back, did you? <laughs> no, I... I knew I... you'd try to open that closet someday. Well, why do you keep it locked? So that no one but myself shall know what's in there. Not even I? You in particular. But, Garth, You're... I... <gasps> You'll not attempt to open it again, will you, Claudia? No. Forgive me for striking you. I, uh... Not quite myself tonight. I... Sometimes do things I regret when these moods come upon me. He sat down. He seemed terribly exhausted. Completely spent. But there was a strange, wild light in his eyes. He seemed like a man intoxicated with some strange drug that few men know the taste of. You do forgive me, don't you, Claudia? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. See, it's something that, that few people know, Claudia, but a person who has... Extraordinary powers carries an extraordinary burden. You mean your gift of prophecy? Yes, I, uh, 
didn't want to mention it. It seems to upset you so. It doesn't frighten me any longer. Did you read in the newspaper about a woman's body being found in the river? She'd been murdered, garroted. Yes, it was in this evening's paper. They don't know who she is. I can tell you who she is. Josephine Ford. A stupid girl, Claudia. I could have told you that she'd be murdered three days ago. How do you know these things? Because I see them. Sort of vision. Now I'm seeing another vision. It's a house, 346 Harbor Street, near the waterfront. A young woman lies in bed reading. She's very attractive. In an hour, she'll be dead. When the police come, they'll find her body decapitated. The criminal did this to destroy her identity. But who is the criminal? What difference does it make? He'll never be caught. Uh, uh, Garth, while you were gone, Martha Wallstone telephoned. She's ill again. She asked me to come up immediately. Why didn't you go? I was waiting for you to get home before I left. You want to leave immediately? If you don't mind. It's really an emergency. You may go, Claudia. I shall go to sleep. I'm extremely tired. I found the house at 346 Harbor Street. I went in. The lamp in the bedroom was burning. I looked at the bed. I... I fainted. Hey, Mrs. Dale. Think you can sit up now? Detective Quinn. Yes. Hardly expected to find you here. I came because Garth Dragman predicted this would happen. Mrs. Dale. You still don't believe me? You're a strange woman, all right. You accused this man of killing your husband, and then you married him. I suppose you're going to accuse him of this murder, too. Yes. This and heaven only knows how many others. Miss Dale, do you realize that you haven't got a single piece of evidence to back up your contention? I'll get the evidence tonight. Will you let me have a gun? No. Will you be near my house? I, I need protection. Oh, no, after all. What must I do to convince you what he is? I've risked my own life. I'm willing to risk it again. He's a monster. You're going to wait until he murders me before you believe what I say. All right. I'll give it a try. I'll come back to your house with you. You want me for an emergency? Smash the window pane. We drove back together. I dropped Detective Quinn on the corner. The house seemed deserted when I came in. But I wasn't taking any chances. I went to the kitchen. Got a knife. Hid it in the folds of the long-sleeved gown I was wearing. I went into Garth's room... He wasn't there. But the closet door was open. What I saw in there nearly made me ill. Clothes. Gas clothes. Some of them soaked in blood. I forced myself to examine them. Then I found something that made my heart beat faster. A little jewelry case. I'll take that, Claudia. Oh, God. Give me that jewelry case, please. No, don't take it. Thank you. Garth. Get away from that window, Claudia. Go on. Don't shoot, Garth. You were so anxious to see what's in that closet. Well, now you have. Perhaps you'd like to see the latest addition to my collection. It's in this box. That box? Yes, Claudia. A hat box. Garth. Sit down, Claudia. (gasps) Oh. 
are you going to do? Tell you who killed your husband. You? No. You. You're insane. I've written out a confession for you to sign. What'll happen if I don't sign it? Well, I credited you with more imagination. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Yes, read it. Please. Sit over here, away from that window. Yes. I, Claudia Dale, murdered my first husband, Willard Banks, for his insurance by administering poison. My first husband? Yes, Claudia. See, I mean to make this document strong enough to send you to your death if I wish. I've got all the details here, just how you murdered your first husband, how you killed your second. Shall I go on? No. You know it's all a lie. Will you sign it? Of course not. Just what is your game anyway? If you want to kill me, why don't you shoot? You've been very successful before. There's no reason you shouldn't succeed again. Go on, shoot. You put me in a very difficult position, Claudia. You see, you have found out certain things about me. Things that could cost me my life. I will not tell you again to get away from that window, Claudia. I should prefer to see you live because I love you. But I shouldn't hesitate to murder you. You love me? Yes. You haven't taken me in your arms once since I know you. The right time had not arrived. What do you consider the right time? When I feel that you understand me. When I feel that you, who murdered two men, understand the deep and strange cravings and desires that race in my blood. You really believe I'm a murderess? Of course. That's why I love you. Then... The time is now. The time? To take me in your arms. Claudia. He still held the gun. He wasn't more than two inches from me. I turned my lips up to him. I twisted my body to get out of the range of his revolver. When I felt his lips touch mine, I slowly let the knife slip into my hand... Slowly, caressingly, I drew my hand up towards his neck. Then I plunged the blade in. Detective Quinn! Hurry! I'm coming. What happened? I killed him. And here's the proof that he murdered my husband. I, I found it in the jewelry case he had in his pocket. It's the snake ring that was missing from my husband's body. Now do you believe me? That's the whole story. I realize that you, as the district attorney, must know all the facts. There they are. Thank you. There are a few points in the story that interest me particularly. First, the confession that he asked you to sign. What about it? The confession says that you went out in Pittsfield at 4 a.m. when your husband was killed. She gave your friend Martha Wallstone a sleeping pill, drove her down here, shot your husband, drove back to Pittsfield, turned Miss Wallstone's bedside clock to 4.15 and wakened her. And you gave her the medicine. She thought it was 4.15 and went back to sleep. Garth was very clever at things like that. He had extraordinary brilliance of the insane. And just one question. Was that the way you murdered Howard Dale? I? Oh, but Garth murdered him. The ring proves it. You never had the ring. You put it in the jewelry box. I can't believe what you say. Garth was a homicidal maniac... He predicted the death of the people he murdered. My dear woman, don't you know yet? 
Know what? That dragon was a detective working out of my office. That's how he knew about those deaths. He was put on the case because we suspected you of murdering your first husband as well as your second. A detective? Yes. And you're going to die for killing him. Extremely daring and clever of you to murder him. But you never would have gotten away with it if he hadn't kissed you. He kissed you because he fell in love with you. That poor fool. That just goes to prove that you should never pick up hitchhikers who come out of cemeteries at midnight. And I bet you've guessed the moral for our story. It's taken from a famous quotation that uh, Harry the Hangman uttered during a nightmare. Never steal the rings of people you murder on account of that's robbery. (laughs) My goodness, you call that a moral. That's one of the most immoral things I've ever heard you say. All right, Mary, I'll take it back. Now, here's one you really like. There's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip, and that's why teaspoons were invented. <laughs> <laughs> that's very clever. But I guess the reason they're called teaspoons is because people drink tea so many times during the day. Yes, folks enjoy that brisk Lipton tea not just at mealtime, but between meals as well, such as when friends drop in for a visit. That's why it's a good idea always to keep a good supply on hand. So, folks, ask for Lipton tea in the larger, more economical size packages. And now here's a cheerful little thought. You can let a man murder you once, but uh, you'd have to be a stiff to let him do it again. (laughs) Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Puzzle for Wantons by Patrick Quentin. Yes, and next week's Inner Sanctum story, directed by Hyman Brown, and brought to you by Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup. Next week's story is about a woman with canary yellow eyes, murderous eyes. Everyone she looks at, she wants to kill. And you know what? She keeps a harpoon in her house. Well, well, you never know what's going to harpoon next. <laughs> And I'm afraid it's time to close the squeaking door. So, good night. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's Inner Sanctum Mystery, September 4th, 1945, with The Murder Prophet, starring Wendy Berry. More of Hollywood... Oops, I almost said Hollywood 360, No, Lisa. you didn't. You actually did More of did the WGN <laughs> Radio Theater after these words. You know, you get four pillows with that uh, special offer? You get two premium my pillows and the two, like a travel size, the two go-anywhere pillows. you need pillows? four pillows in your bedroom for? So... I don't know. I'm just trying to Again, it I'm out. just going to ignore that you said that. I'm just going to okay. move on. You're just ignoring me a lot lately. Well, there's good reasons. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well. Well, it's midnight. You know what? And it is Monday. So happy Monday. Happy Monday. You know what, Lisa? Um, 
In our next hour, we have the adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone. Basil or Basil? It's Basil and Nigel Bruce. And uh, we're going to see if I can get three more in a row. That would be 12 in a row. If you get this, I get a giant chunky. I will buy the king size chunky I'm going to spring for it at Walgreens. Gosh. I'm a big spender. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thank you, Vic. All right, it is uh, let's see, six minutes after midnight, so it's Monday morning. Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for staying up late with us. And in this hour, it's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, great detective adventure starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. We're also going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? And I do want to just uh, take a few moments to talk about the Classic Radio Club, because we have a club for you. It's for our listeners, and we have hundreds and hundreds of members. People join. They only pay $1 the first month. Get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. You will get them via digital download or on five CDs in a collector case, and you go to Classic Radio Club. Dot com, right, Lisa? Right. And something that's really exciting about this club, as we know some of the great ones that are going to be included, uh, we know... You know Suspense and Inner Sanctum, things like right, that. Right. We've talked about Abbott and Costello and, and you know, all of the great ones. And we can always expect the classics, the ones that everybody knows and loves. But we, what we can also get in the Classic Radio Club are the ones that you choose carefully for the club, ones that our listeners may not be familiar with, may not know too much about. And it really can be an eye-opening experience to listen to some of these radio shows that you don't know about, that you've never heard before, and it kind of opens up a whole new world of radio shows that you can experience through the Classic Radio Club. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lisa, because, like, for instance, in in the May CDs and digital downloads, I was... Um, I happen to be listening to them again. I always listen to them before we I choose them. But there is a particular episode, Command Performance, right? Command Performance was a really cool show. You might not order a Command Performance normally, but this particular episode has Shirley Temple as right. the host on it. It has Fanny Bryce... You know, as Baby Snooks and Hanley Stafford as Daddy. So there's some great routines of Baby Snooks, which are very rare. And then there's Abbott and Costello on there, and they do a version of their Who's On First routine. So when I happen to hear those three things, you know, in a broadcast, I say, you know, this is something I put it aside for the Classic Radio Club, and I don't include it on anything else. And it happened to fall into May, but there are there are always something. There's one or two shows like that. Well, what's in that the are, May? So I'm looking at my May lineup. I have the links right here on my phone. We've got Crime Classics um, from 1953. We've got Dimension X. We have Fort Laramie. We have Nick Carter, Master Detective. We have a Suspense, The Screaming Woman, which I was listening to today. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, The Black Museum, The Great Gildersleeve, The Screen Director's Playhouse. There is so much and such a variety, but I really do appreciate that you're choosing the best of the best, sometimes familiar and sometimes unfamiliar, and that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah, so learn more about it. It's all at our website, Classic Radio Club. Dot com. Just go there. It's all there and learn. And you can join the first month for a dollar and you can cancel at any time and you will never get a duplicate show. All right. Uh, who is the celebrity again? Sylvester oh, Stallone. Yeah. And uh, you've got a record that we want to upkeep if you want to get that king size chunky. So. I am going to I'm going to get all three of these right. All right. Well, so much for nutrition. A chunky is on. <laughs> is, 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 <laughs> it's a ch- I can win a chunky. You could. 
The yeah. king size, not any any chunky, wow. but the king size chunky. That's going to set you back like five, ten bucks. I know. I'm in for it. All right. Um, so we are going to give away two tickets to Porchlight Revisits Minnie's Boys, which is playing uh, upcoming at the Porchlight Music Theater here in Chicago. And we are looking for caller number two. So call right now, 312-981-7200. Call now. And- Come on, baby. Let's We've got Mark on the phone to play a little Real or Ridiculous. Hey, Mark. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Great. So, Hi, Mark. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is a celebrity, and Carl's going to try to keep his streak, and you guys can All help right. each other out and see how that goes. All right, Mark, here okay? we go. Number one, okay. Sylvester Stallone made his directorial debut and starred in the 1978 film Paradise Alley. Real or Ridiculous. Um, that's real. Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna agree with that. That is real. That right. is correct. All right, we're getting on the wire All here. Right, that's Number ten in a row. two, his film Rocky won three Oscars: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Film Editing. Real or ridiculous? Mm. I'm what sorry, I can't make again? this easy. Um, so three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, yeah. Best Film Editing. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think... Um, what do you think, Mark? Carl, help. What do you think? I don't think so. I think I, it's just one Best yeah, Picture. I, yeah, I, I, um, I, I agree. I don't think it's real. It's real. <laughs> it's real? It's what? real. It's oh, real. Man. So sorry, Carl. Carl just lost his chunky. I just I'm lost the so chunky. So sorry. Here. I feel badly about that. <laughs> Maybe, well, can I go for a smaller size chunky you here? You can't. <laughs> nope. You lost the whole kit and caboodle. Number three. He <laughs> formed a film studio in 2018 named Balboa Productions. Real or ridiculous? Could be real. Do you think real? You think real? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> sounds sounds reasonable. All right, I'm going to say ridiculous. What do I tell you, Carl? <laughs> Listen to your listeners, Carl. You just fell off in the end. <laughs> you got to. You were. It is absolutely for, real. You were right, Mark. <laughs> well, Mark got to. Sure, it was an 18. I'm, I thought it was earlier than that. That's why. That's why. Well, uh, in any event, Carl, I'm sorry row, you, you right. lost a couple there. Isn't but ten in a row worth something? It's not. But Mark, you <laughs> want to take it to the Porchlight Revisits Thank Minis you. Boys. It's May twenty second and twenty third. Award winning Porchlight Music Theater takes Chicago back in time in this joyful look at the young Marx brothers in the Chicago premiere. So you can get tickets at porchlightmusictheater.org. And I hope you enjoy the show. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's supposed to be a great yeah. show. That's great. Thank you. Terrific. Enjoy it. You did a great job. All right. You and not so great. (laughs) Well, I got got, 10 in a row, though. You did. 10 should be worth something. You lost the last two. Maybe you can't get... You know what happened. You got a little overconfident. How about, um, like, some raisinettes? That wasn't the bet. Maybe next week you can try again. I mean, 10 in a row... Yeah, but the bet was 12 for a Chunky, and, I know. and you didn't win. I'm so sorry. God, I was all so excited close. to buy that for you. 
Well, you know, it's probably better off. That it I, probably is. I, I can't. I really shouldn't be eating a chunky. <laughs> I mean, just the name alone. I mean, I'm on Nutrisystem and, <laughs> and you're a whole chunky. month and then I'm eating a chunky. I, I think mean, anything called chunky just doesn't have a good connotation. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I am chunky. And that's no, that's why I like not what it. I'm saying. I'm just saying if you're watching your weight, the last thing you want to eat is something called chunky. Yeah. It just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> I'm on a seafood diet. Right. I get that. All the food I see, I eat. Uh, that's an old one, Carl. You know how old that one is? That's one. about as old as, as you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably even older than that. Probably. All right. Well, all right. Well, that was uh, that was that disappointing. Was that was disappointing. Oh, I for thought me. it was successful for me. Oh, she saved five bucks because that's what it would have set you back five bucks. I was willing to take the plunge for you. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce were starring as Sherlock Holmes in the movies, and they also decided, hey. Let's play these characters on the radio, too. I mean, uh, radio doesn't take that long. It doesn't take as long as a movie to do, that's for sure. So they were cast, and it was a very popular radio series. Lots of actors played the roles of uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson over the years, but uh, nobody was probably better at it than Nigel Bruce and uh, Basil Rathbone. So this is a broadcast from May 7th, 1945, called The Purloined Ruby. Here's part one of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family... The family that took time to bring you good wine invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective Sherlock Holmes. And now let's visit our old friend, Dr. Watson. I'm up here on the patio, Mr. Foreman. Come on out and join me. Admiring the sunset, eh, Doctor? Yes, my boy. It's a particularly beautiful one. Where are the puppies this evening? Uh, Asleep on a... A favorite tweed coat of mine that's just come back from the cleaner. <laughs> and you hadn't the heart to move them, I suppose. No, no, I hadn't. The little fellows looked so comfortable. In fact, I sometimes wonder if these... Uh, but you haven't come here to listen to a dissertation on the behavior of dogs? Well, it is getting near story time, Doctor. Yes, of course it is. Well, just let me uh, get my pipe properly lighted. Ah, that's it. The story I'm going to tell you tonight... Began in 1909. I received a telegram from my old friend telling me that he was leaving his Sussex bee farm and coming to London for a few days. I hadn't seen the great man for several months, so naturally I went to Victoria Station to meet him. As the train drew to a stop, the door of a first-class carriage swung open and Sherlock Holmes, hand outstretched, jumped down onto the platform to greet me. Watson, my dear fellow, how are you? Oh, Holmes, my dear fellow, it's good to see you again. I've missed you. And are you, old chap? Penny a bag, sir? Uh, yes, Porter, and get us a handsome cab, will you? Right, you Governor. I wish I'd got a spare room for you. Don't worry, Watson. I shall be very comfortable at the Diogenes Club. By the way, I trust you're free this evening. Yes, naturally. What are your plans? I thought we'd go to the theatre. Theatre? Oh, what play do you want to see? Well, I thought we'd go to the Savoy Theatre and see the Sherlock Holmes play. I hear it's enormously successful. Yes, I know it is, but I've avoided it. I'm told that Sir Claude Horton takes great liberties with your character... And as for the actor portraying me, my friends tell me it's a, it's a travesty. He makes me nothing but a uh, bumbling old fool. <laughs> Therefore, a visit to the play might be a salutary experience for both of us. 
In any case, my trip to London is a response to an urgent telegram from Sir Claude himself. Seems to need my help rather badly. Oh, what's his trouble? <clears throat> well, he wasn't specific in his telegram. He suggested, however, that we attend tonight's performance and discuss the matter with him afterwards. I see. Well, I, I suppose if you can sit through it, I can. Of course you can, old fellow. In any case, you yourself are partly responsible for the play's existence. How do you mean, Holmes? <laughs> Those sensational stories you wrote of my modest problems, I... I should have seen where they would eventually lead to. In time, no doubt, we shall uh, be portrayed on the cinematograph as well. Nonsense, Holmes. That newfangled thing's only a toy. I think not, Watson. We're on the edge of a strange new mechanical world. In fact, I begin to feel a certain concern about the rumored developments in wireless telegraphy. But enough of these predictions. Here comes our porter with a cab. We'll tell the driver to take us straight to the Savoy Theatre. <laughs> Just look at that line of people at the box at the uh, box office, Holmes. Very flattering, old chap. Well, possibly, but I hope it doesn't mean that we've got to wait our turn. And... Oh. Excuse me, gentlemen. You're Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, aren't you? Yes, yes. I yes. thought I couldn't be mistaken. My name is Frank Ferris. I do, do, Mr. Ferris. I'm glad to meet you, sir. The Claude has a box reserved for you. He asked me to see that you are quite comfortable. Very considerate of him. Will you follow me, please? Thank you. Um, neither of you have seen the play before, I understand. Uh, no, Mr. Fellows, we haven't. <laughs> I imagine it'll be a strange experience seeing yourselves portrayed on the stage. By the way, uh, I'm playing the part of an old friend of yours, Professor Moriarty. Oh, indeed. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a very entertaining evening. I presume that you escape our clutches, as usual? <laughs> yes, I do, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> and I've done it nightly now for 137 performances. Oh, a record that I'm sure Professor, uh, Professor Moriarty himself would envy. Had it not been for his memorable demise at the Reichenbach Falls... Ah, here we are, gentlemen. This is the box reserved for you. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to my dressing room. Oh, oh, I nearly forgot, Mr. Holmes. Sir Claude asked me to give you this note. Thank you. No, not at all. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Very nice fellow for an actor. Don't be a snob, Watson. Well, what does the Claude note say? I'll read it to you. Dear Holmes, since I telegraphed you yesterday, there have been strange developments. In fact, I've been doing some detective work off stage as well as on. Watch the performance tonight and watch the audience too, particularly the occupant of the box opposite yours. Please come to my dressing room as soon as the last curtain has fallen. He's being very mysterious and the box opposite ours is empty. No, no, no. Look, Watson, look. Someone has just entered. Confound it, the house lights are going out. The first act's beginning, Holmes. The first act, yes. Well, sit back and relax, old fellow. Let's see what they've done to us. Well, what did you think of the first act, Holmes? Huh? Oh, the first act, yes, yes. I was um, examining the occupant of the box opposite ours. An attractive young lady... Alone and unusually preoccupied in her program. In fact, one might assume that she was trying to hide her face. Yes, but the play, don't you think it's ridiculous? Just imagine a crown jewel being stolen from the Tower of London. Why not? It's been attempted many times. Anyhow, you must admit that the actor who's portraying me behaves like a, like a blithering idiot. <laughs> and Sir Claude's interpretation of you is uh, pretty far-fetched. Far-fetched, but flattering, Watson. What poise, what suavity, and what a voice. 
I find myself thoroughly entertained. You're a strange chap, Holmes. No accounting for your tastes. Look, Watson, look. The back of the box over there. Good Lord, I could have sworn a man dodged behind the curtain. I don't think the girl saw him, though. Looks like a foreigner. I think as the young ladies alone, we'll take the liberty of joining her. Oh, dash it, there go the lights again. The second act starting now. And sit down, old fellow. We don't want to attract attention. We'll join her during the next intermission. with me. Uh, my name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, young lady? I hope you'll forgive this intrusion, but Sir Claude requested that I keep an eye on you during the play tonight. Please come in and sit down, won't you? Thank you. <clears throat> this is very kind of you. You must forgive my abruptness just now. When I've just been watching Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson being impersonated on the stage, it's rather startling to have the real couple walk into my box. <laughs> yes, I quite understand. By the way, just before the curtain went up on the second act, I thought I noticed a man come into the back of this box and then disappear again. Were you aware of his presence? No. No, I didn't see him. But I know who it is. He's been following me for weeks now. Perhaps you'd like to tell us about it, Miss... Uh... Henshaw. Alicia Henshaw. Yes, I would. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm here tonight. Sir Claude Horton's an old friend of my father's. I went to ask his advice. He did some investigating himself for a few days, and then he found himself a little out of his depth, so he decided to telegraph for you, Mr. Holmes. We were going to meet in his dressing room after the performance tonight. Splendid. And now, Miss Henshaw, what is your story? It's a strange one, Mr. Holmes, though I didn't realize just how strange until I first saw this play a few nights ago. You see, my story concerns a stolen ruby. Good Lord, and tonight's play revolves around the same thing. Exactly. I might as well tell you how it all started. My brother is an officer in the British Army stationed in Egypt. Early this year, he saved the life of a very important native personage in some uprising in Cairo and was rewarded with a magnificent ruby. This jewel he sent to my Uncle Timothy and me. Oh, we're the last of the Henshaws, you see. Did your brother tell you the name of this personage? Well, he didn't know it, Mr. Holmes. Apparently, the whole affair was hushed up. I see. Please continue. Well, the trouble began shortly after Uncle Timothy and I received the ruby. A description of it was published in the papers, and a few days later, a message came to us from an Egyptian, Mohammed Ali, laying claim to the stone as one stolen from his family years ago. He sent an expert to our house who examined the ruby under a lens, Mr. Holmes, and then tapped it with a hammer. It fell to pieces. It was a fraud. Gracious me, an amazing thing. I'm sure that's not the end of the story, Miss Henshaw. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I wrote and told my brother what had happened. He became very suspicious and suggested that I investigate the credentials of the expert that examined the stone. I think I can finish the story for you. The supposed expert was a jewel thief who substituted a paste ruby for the real one. Destroyed the imitation and walked off with the treasure. It's an old trick. Of course, you haven't been able to find any trace of the supposed expert. Well, that's the funny part of it, Mr. Holmes. Uncle Timothy and I gave a description to the police, but oh, it was a very vague one, I'm afraid. All the time, Uncle said the man reminded him of a colleague of his many years ago at the university, a professor of mathematics. He couldn't think of his name, but when we first saw the play a few nights ago, he was reminded of it. The name was Moriarty. Moriarty? But Moriarty's dead. Miss Henshaw, you say you uh, have been shadowed for some weeks. Yes, by an Egyptian. They've stolen the ruby, Mr. Holmes. Why don't they leave me alone? That, Miss Henshaw, represents a, a very fascinating problem and one that I should be most happy to help you solve. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Holmes. Oh, there go the lights again. 
The last act? Yes, the last act of this little play, but not, I fear, of Miss Henshaw's problems. Uh, let's meet after the act in Sir Claude's dressing room, shall we? Well, the announcer at the beginning of this broadcast said it was Basil. I so now we that. know it's Basil Rathbone. That's right. So uh, we cleared that mystery up. Right, no but longer. But Holmes a has not yet solved the mystery of the purloined ruby, and that's coming your way in just a few minutes. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, it is. Thanks, Vic. Appreciate you. It is uh, twelve thirty-five on a Monday morning, and we are listening to the Sherlock Holmes radio series. Don't forget, folks, we're here every single Saturday night, beginning at eleven p.m., and also on Sunday nights, beginning at eleven p.m., where we play all your favorite classic radio shows. We are here for another 25 minutes. If you want to text us anything, 312-981-7200. Lisa must have had a nap today because she's wide awake. Did you have a nap? I didn't. Oh, really? No. Gosh, you were just like wide awake. Well, that's what WGN does for me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, I, had a, I had a nap earlier, so well, that's, that's why. Well, that's good. Yeah, you I seem a, a little happier tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little crabby yesterday. Sorry you if were I was. just a little. I didn't mean to be. But well, I'm used to it. I was a little crabby because we got a late start. That doesn't make me happy when we I get know. a late start. I know. There were a lot of things that bothered you last We started like almost night. four minutes late. And, you know, folks, one of the things, and I'll just I'll tell you, it's a kind of a technical thing. So we have these classic radio shows, right? And they're finite amounts of time. Like, you know, we break them up into two parts. Well, there's commercials, and then there's a little bit of banter, where we have our trivia question. So if we don't start the show on time, it causes havoc on our end to get all the shows in and the, and everything, right? I mean, you know, Lisa, what it's like. Right. Our listeners may not realize that. Right. Well, that's why we chose to skip the first uh, Really Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we always make it work. And sometimes there's unforeseen things that go on. And that's what so happens in live radio. I will have to admit, I was a little crabby yesterday because we got about a but, four minute late yeah, start. There were a lot of things that made you crabby <laughs> last night. I won't go into all you mean, of them. because Curtis poured water on me? All sorts of that? things. Oh, yeah. No, that didn't make me mad at all. What about the pizza? That he poured water on me. <laughs> what about the pizza? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mind paying for the pizza. There are all sorts cheap. of things. I'm that, not cheap. There are all sorts of things. Would that you say not. I'm cheap? No. Okay. I'm not cheap. I'll I, buy a, I'll buy you a pizza once a year. Okay. And when you get 12 trivia questions right You'll in a row, a I chunky. will buy you a king-size junkie. All right. You, okay, you so got your, you got your one annual pizza. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I should be good for my Hey, bu- Mother's Day's coming up. Next Sunday. Gosh. Yeah, Mother's Day. Yeah. What's Dan going to get you? Well, that is a really good question. Uh-huh. What, you should throw him a hint, like you know, you he want this, you want that. He hasn't asked me, so I'm not just gonna, uh, I'm not just gonna do that. Well, he's really good at it. Yeah, so Dan we'll see gets what you happens. nice stuff. We'll see. What he gets happens. you nice baubles. He does. Yeah, <laughs> you'll probably get something really nice. Yeah, he's good at that. All right, you know what else is really nice? I do, Sherlock Holmes. Yes, let's get two. back <laughs> to the purloined ruby, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Here's the conclusion to Sherlock Holmes. Well, Holmes, how did you enjoy the play? Very much, Sir Claude. May I introduce my old friend, Dr. Watson? How do you do, Sir Claude? How are you, Doctor? 
I see you've already made the acquaintance of Miss Hanshaw, and she, no doubt, has told you her troubles, eh? Yes, Sir Claude. And Mr. Holmes has promised to help me. Splendid. Uh, tell me, Watson, how did you like the play? It was uh, very interesting, Sir Claude. Not quite accurate, of course. Well, you, you have to allow us a little dramatic license, you know. Uh, what did you think of Rodney, the man who was portraying you, Doctor? Well, since you mention it, I think the fellow needs to study diction. He, he mumbles so much, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> oh, come, now, old fellow. I, I think there are times when you're a little hard to understand yourself. Oh, rubbish. Sir Claude, I oh, hope you'll uh, meet us at the Diogenes Club, and then we can go out and have some supper. Excellent idea. I'll join you there after I've taken off my makeup. Splendid. I think I should be going home now, Sir Claude. I gave my address to Mr. Holmes so he knows where to get in touch with me. Very well, Miss Hanshaw, and don't worry. I shall give your problem my undivided attention. I'll take you to your cab, my dear. Oh, there's no need to, Mr. Clark. Nonsense, I insist. Goodbye. I'll be back in a moment, gentlemen. Right, Miss Hanshaw. Oh, good night, good night. This strange business, Holmes. What, what do you make of it all? Very little as yet, but it's a fascinating problem. Sir Claude really seems to uh, have identified himself with the character of Sherlock Holmes. He gave me the impression that he feels quite capable of, of solving the case by himself. Oh, hello. Claude hasn't left, has he? Oh, no, Mr. Fellows. He's coming back in a moment. <clears throat> How'd you like to play, gentlemen? Very much. Your own performance as Moriarty was most convincing. Yes, yes, indeed, sir. Congratulations, congratulations. A couple of times there, I had a strange feeling that you, you really were Moriarty. Well, that's very flattering, Doctor. Oh, Hello. Well, it sounds as if there's some trouble at the stage door. Hey, excuse me. Come on, Watson, let's follow him. Right. Hello, it's Claude. He seems upset about something. Yes. What's happened, Claude? Oh, there you are, Holmes. I, I just seen Miss Hanshaw off in her cab when a foreign-looking fellow came out of a doorway and got into another cab. I heard him tell the driver to follow her. I, I tried to stop him, but... He got away. Must be the same man that we saw in our box during the play. Mr. Claude, we have our address. I think we'll drive there at once and see that she's arrived safely. We'll join you later at the Diogenes Club. Well, Holmes, here we go. Off on another adventure? Yes, and one that may give us an opportunity of crossing swords with Moriarty once more. Oh, Moriarty's dead. He was killed when you and he fell over the precipice in 91. He was supposed to have been killed, just as I was, but his body was never found. It's impossible, or rather possible, that he returned to pour into the ears of Colonel Moran a story as unlikely and as true as the one I related to you on that April evening in 1894. One can never be sure of death, old chap, until one has touched the cold skin of a corpse. The famous pair had become involved in a strange mystery concerning a stolen ruby, a frightened girl, and an Egyptian who appears to be shadowing her. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are standing in a darkened alleyway adjoining the girl's house. Holmes, Holmes, look, look, look. That Egyptian fellow. He's pacing up and down in front of our house. Yes, therefore we may assume she's safely inside. Uh-huh. Seems to be giving up. He's, he's coming this way. Flatten yourself against the wall. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Who are you, please? We are friends of Miss Hanshaw, and we're very curious to know why you've been following her. I'm sorry that I cannot answer your <clears throat> question, sir. Now, look here, my man. You're talking to Mr. Sherlock Holmes. You are a Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I'm greatly honored to meet you, sir. All my life I have known of you. All my life I have admired you. Then in that case, perhaps you'll answer my questions. 
Uh, why have you been following Miss Henshaw? Because it is my duty. What do you mean, your duty? Perhaps I should have said my destiny, Mr. Holmes. For two generations now, the family of Arabi, of which I am a humble member, have dedicated their lives to finding the stolen treasure of Ashut. What on earth all that got to do with Miss Henshaw? Hmm? The treasure of Ashut is a giant ruby. It was stolen many years ago from the family of Muhammad Ali. A few months ago, Miss Henshaw received a mysterious ruby. I have found out many things, Mr. Holmes. I have many sources of information. Then I must regard you in the light of a, a rival detective in this case. I heartily call myself a detective, Mr. Holmes. My life is dedicated to only one problem. Miss Hancho now says the jewel was stolen from her. I do not believe it. That is why I watch her. If I am wrong this time, and I do not think I am wrong, then my quest must go on. Always it will go on. Permit me to wish you the best of luck, sir. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Good night, gentlemen. Oh, good night, good night. Sure, we shall meet again. Oh, why did you let him go, Holmes? Why not? He's frightening Miss Henshaw. But not molesting her, old chap. In fact, it might be a good thing if someone is keeping an eye on her. And meanwhile, Watson, let's see if we can find a cab and get back to the Diogenes Club. I don't want to keep Claude waiting. Laura, has Claude Horton arrived yet? Yes, Mr. Holmes. He and another gentleman came in about five minutes ago. They went up to the library. The other gentleman has just left. I see. Thank you. This way, Watson. I'm sorry, Sir Claude. We've kept you waiting. We took a little longer, but... Sir Claude! Great heavens! What's the matter with him? Holmes! I... I... I found the answer. Too late. It's... It's... No, 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 sir. Don't try and stand up. You're, you're ill. What are you trying to tell me? The ruby. The ruby. Moriarty. The answer. The answer's in the book. In the book. Mr. Claude. Holmes. He's been stabbed. He's dead. Just as he was trying to give me a message. He was muttering something about the ruby and Moriarty. And twice he said, it's in the book. Yes, there's a book still in his hand. It's a copy of the tales of Edgar Allan Poe. His thumb's marking a page. The story of the purloined letter. Thank you, Sir Claude. You delivered your message. Come on, Watson. If we want to catch a murderer and a thief, we must go back to the Savoy Theatre as quickly as we can. Why do you suppose Sir Claude was murdered? Because I was too curious. I've been investigating the problem of the stolen ruby and had found out something. Something that he promised to tell me at supper, you remember? Until he was killed by a man who came with him to the club tonight. Fortunately, he gave me a clue. By indicating Poe's story of a purloined letter. But I still don't see that how that helps you. Well, it leads us to the ruby. The premise of Poe's story is that the most obvious hiding place is the safest. Now, what uh, physical object was most prominent on the stage in tonight's play? By Jove. Uh, a ruby. Exactly. How better can you hide a stolen ruby than by exhibiting it night after night as a stolen ruby before the eyes of thousands? Well, you mean you expect to find it in the, in the property room backstage? Precisely. That and a murderer. Wait, Paulus Cabby. Come on, Watson. Do you have your revolver, old chap? Yeah, yes, I do. Well, keep it handy. Our uh, visit may not be unexpected. Unlocked. That's good. Come on. Look, Holmes, look. 
The doorkeeper. He slumped over his desk. Hmm. Didn't give him chloroform. We'll take the liberty of borrowing his lantern. Huh. An eerie atmosphere about a dark and empty theater, isn't there? Now, where would the stage properties be kept, I wonder? Hold the lantern a little higher, will you, old fellow? Yeah. That's it. Ah, look over there. A large cabinet. It's marked property department. And it's unlocked. Well, oh, this is frighteningly easy. Let's look out for a trap. Now, let's see. Look, look. There's a ruby lying on that press. Hold it up under the lantern, Watson. Exactly. It's as I thought. This is no paste stage property. It's a genuine ruby. Though in the light of this lantern, it's very hard to... Down, Watson, quick! He nearly got us. Smashed our lantern. Yes, he's got an air rifle, a powerful one, too, confound it. There's no flash to indicate where he's firing from. Of course, he's baited his trap so neatly that he knows exactly where we are. I'm going to take a shot at him. I can't see anything, but at least it'll let him know we're armed. Now move your position quickly, Watson. Just missed me, Holmes. This is hopeless shooting in the dark. Yes. I've got to switch the stage lights on. Keep him occupied, old fellow, will you? While I try to find the light switches. I've got him. But he can still shoot, confound it. Yes, well, I found the light switch. Keep your eyes skinned, Watson. I'm turning it on. There he is, Holmes. Up in that box. Getting away. After him, Watson. You can jump over the footlights into the box. Ah! I'm afraid the bird has flown, Watson. I should have remembered that theater exit doors always open from the inside. No, no, he didn't get away, Holmes. Look on the floor there. It's that Egyptian fellow. I hope you haven't wounded him too badly, no, old I don't chap. care if I have. He was trying to kill us. No, it's only a shoulder wound. He's fainted, infernal scoundrel. No, he's a very gallant man. Undoubtedly, he was trying to save us as you shot him just now. Holmes, what on earth are you talking about? Obviously, he's Moriarty. No, Watson. Moriarty just escaped through the door you heard clang a few moments ago. Then what's this man doing here? As a fellow detective, undoubtedly, he followed us. Perhaps he preceded us. When Moriarty started shooting, this man tried to capture him and got wounded by you for his pains. Then who is Moriarty? He must be someone connected with this theater. It's obvious. Moriarty is Moriarty. What? You mean Frank Ferrers, the fellow that played the part on the stage? Again, remember Poe's story of a purloined letter. But why didn't, didn't you recognize him? Oh, remember, I haven't seen him for 20 years, and you haven't forgotten his genius for disguise, have you? What incredible audacity. How better could Moriarty conceal himself than by announcing nightly to the theater-going public that he was Professor Moriarty? Then he killed Sir Claude. Of course he did. Sir Claude must have persuaded Moriarty to go to the club with him. Probably he hoped to expose him in front of me, but Moriarty found out that uh, Sir Claude knew too much. Yes. So he stabbed him. Rushed back here to bait his trap for us. Yes, 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 yes. But how did he know that we'd, uh, we'd walk into it? Well, he knew that if Sir Claude had guessed his secret, then I certainly would. And so he was waiting for us. Oh. Hello? He's coming too. How are you feeling, my man? The... The ruby. The ruby. Did you find the ruby? Yes. Here it is, sir. Tell me. Is it the ruby of Muhammad Ali? No. No. It is a fine stone, but it is not the one for which I have searched all my life. And so my endless quest must go on and on 
He's fainted again. Uh, poor devil. Fine mess I made of this case, Watson. Oh, I don't know. You've recovered the ruby? Yes, look at it, old fellow. Before I turn it over to Miss Hanshaw, look at it well. Probably its every facet stands for a bloody deed. It's a beautiful stone. And yet this lovely bauble has cost Sir Claude his life. And that devil, Moriarty, still goes free. But one day, Watson, and may the day come soon, I shall meet Moriarty again. And when that happens, and I finally bring him to justice, then and only then, can you write Finney to the character of Sherlock Holmes. Well, Doctor, that was kind of an exciting story. Tell me, did the Egyptian recover from his bullet wound? Yes, indeed you did, and rather quickly, too, Mr. Foreman. I felt very badly about shooting him, but of course, uh, I couldn't help it. Of course not. Uh, but you know, if I had to shoot someone accidentally, I, I wish it could have been the, the actor who portrayed me on the stage. Wretched fellow mumbled all over the place. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. After all, you did recover the ruby. Yes, and a beautiful stone it was. The color of, uh, well, uh, the color of a fine glass of port when the light shines through it. By a fine port, I take it you're talking about a Petri port? Is there any other kind? <laughs> and now, Dr. Watson, what story do you have lined up for us next week? Oh, uh, now let me see. Next week, Mr. Foreman, I'm going to tell you a most unusual adventure that occurred to Sherlock Holmes and me early in the last World War. It took place in Flanders and concerned a famous British general... Uh, an actress, and a German firing squad. Boy, that sounds like a real thriller. Well, see you here next week. No, no, no. Uh, not here, Mr. Foreman, remember? Oh, of course. Next week, we're going to be at the Paramount Theater in Hollywood for the seventh war loan drive. That's quite right. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't invite you all to my home for one of our broadcasts, but we can get together next week at the Paramount Theater in Hollywood. You can get a free ticket for our broadcast by buying a war bond. And I sincerely hope that you will do this so that we can see you next week at this time. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Second Stain. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Oh, the Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, Pet, Petri. Foreman saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is Petri Wise. We started a little low there, Carl. I should have started <laughs> higher. A little bit higher. Should've Give started, yourself a little room. I should have started up here. This is... Mm -hmm. 
is Patch oh my gosh <laughs> keep your day job carl you know you don't hear singing commercials anymore right no it's kind of out of 2019 out of but it was so catchy and I know people well, jingles often are just just little jingles. But there was a singing commercial. I thought it was great. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, it's weird, though. When I listen to this, there's an there's an organ. There was no there was no uh, live orchestra on this show. And, right. and Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, big time show. Right. right. Huge show. Still just an organ. Not just an organ. Yeah. yeah not not a live orchestra. A Although few bucks. you heard the applause at the end, right. which means they were on a stage. There was a live audience. And then there was just an organist, uh, along with the sound effects people, of course, the directors and everything. But there you have it. The purloined Ruby, Basil, Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, May 7th, 1945.